Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. Hey, make sure you have a Bible this morning. If you don't, grab one in the window seal. I need some Bible chunkers that are close to the window seal. Hold up your hand if you need a Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Uh, If you have an app, go to the app on your phone. If you don't, get a Bible. And these are some fat Bibles. I mean, seriously. Like, Like, look at that. That's serious. So intimidating. Sorry. But we're on page, uh, let's see, uh, 1,060 in the House Bibles. So uh, please feel free to go there. Last week, uh, we've been in the series called Be Curious, Ted Lasso. If you've not seen Ted Lasso, you're probably not a Christian. Um, (laughs) So we're in this series of Be Curious, and we've been curious about Jesus, and we're in our last sermon in the series. And last week, what we talked about was Jesus seeks and saves the lost. If you remember, we talked about Zacchaeus, who was a Wee little man, that's right. And uh, just a big shout out to you, the Tree Climber Fellowship. Whoop, whoop. Uh, Yeah, all right, y'all will get better at it, all right? But uh, we talked last week that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And if you're new to church, let me tell you how church works sometimes. Is that we have no problem as seasoned churchgoers believing that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But we have this kind of vague sense that once he finds you, now it's your job to seek. So in other words, it's like, you know, Jesus kind of has this attitude that, you know, I went to the cross and I died for you. And yeah, I came and found you when you were a despicable sinner and you were an enemy of God and you were against me. But now that I've saved you, now it's your turn to do a little bit of seeking. In other words, it's kind of like now as Christians, we spend a lot of our time... <laughs> We're trying to seek God and we're feeling this overwhelming sense of God saying, hey, look, Jesus died for you. The least you could do is do something for him. And so we get real busy. In fact, you know, I've heard this used in churches before in Jeremiah 29. This is the Lord speaking. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And when I read that, I go, good luck with that. Do you do anything with your whole heart? Is there anything in your life that you have zero duplicity about? Are you able to bring your whole heart to anything? And if you do, does it last? First time, like we love to go to the beach and we go down to 30A and there's a, there's a restaurant down there called the Red Bar. Anybody been there? First time I went to the Red Bar, it was like, I am in heaven. Jesus is gonna walk around the corner this grouper on this cake of something good with like, ah, oh, and, and the bread pudding with the caramel sauce. No? All right. Angels are singing. We went back like three weeks ago and it was like, eh. It was like, here was something I could give my whole heart to once. 
But even that diminishes over time. In fact, if what Christianity is, is that now we better ramp it up. We better go to church a lot. We better go to small group a lot. We better pray a lot. We better read the Bible a lot. That God's way over here. But if you're a good Christian and you seek him, then you'll find him. I'm not sure any of us have much of a prayer. What if, just what if, Jesus didn't come just to seek and to save the lost, but he is still seeking the found. What if he's still seeking you? In fact, what if he's here right now this morning seeking you and he's so near to you, you don't even recognize him? What if you're so busy trying to do it right that you're distracted from what he's doing? Does that make sense? All right. Well, let's jump in. This is uh, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start reading really uh, on verse 13, but let me give you a little setup. What's happened is uh, Passion Week has happened. Jesus and his disciples, the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, Passover, everybody's there. The town is bustling. It's like Bonnaroo on steroids. It's going crazy. And Jesus begins to teach and he's healing people and remarkable stuff is happening. The Pharisees and the scribes all turn against him with the help of the Roman Empire. They arrest him. They try him. They beat him. They crucify him. Then they throw him in the grave. That's what's happened. He hasn't risen. He is in the ground. That's where the story, the story starts. Now, that same day, two of them, now, when he says them, talking about disciples of Christ, people that used to follow Christ or were following Christ or called themselves disciples of Christ, they were going to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Let me get... So, Let's just pretend this is Jerusalem. This is where everything's happening, okay? This is where Christ came to uh, be crucified and soon is going to raise from the dead. This is the birthplace of where Christianity, what you're doing today, this is where it all started. Where were these two people going? Someplace other than that. You ever been to Emmaus? Yes, you have. Hang on, I'll tell you about it. Because listen what happened. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they were talking and discussing these things with each other, Jesus himself, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I love Jesus. Like this is exactly the kind of thing I would love to do. So these two guys are two people. We don't know if there were two guys. They're leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus just kind of walks up to them, and they don't know who he is. Like, did he have a face mustache? Like, I don't know. How do you do this? Like, did he have like a hood over? I don't know. Did he have, was it COVID? He had a mask? I, we don't know. We just know that if Jesus has the power to conquer the grave, he can probably change his appearance. So, he asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their face downcast. Now we immediately, we immediately get some kind of idea of what's happening with these two disciples. They're downcast. That this wasn't just a road to Emmaus. This was what we're going to call the DSD road. All right? The DSD. 
discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. We'll get to it in a minute. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You gotta be kidding me. You're asking us, have you not been in Jerusalem? And he goes, what things? Jesus, I know. About Jesus of Nazareth. They said, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Underline that part in your Bible. We're going to come back to it. But we had hoped. And what is more, in the mid, in, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So stop there because these two people are walking. They're, they've decided we're leaving Jerusalem. In other words, the party is over. Bonnaroo is shut down. Take your tent and go home. Like they're leaving. You know, our team didn't win. We had all this hope that we were going to become the national champs. And what's happened? Ah, we've heard rumors, but really, no Jesus. So we're just packing up our stuff and we're going home. Discouraged, sad, and disappointed. Have you ever been those things? Have you ever been discouraged, sad, or disappointed? Are you this morning? Let me tell you something. If you are not this morning, just hang on because it's coming. If you just want to live your life, like I'm serious, you can do anything and you're going to experience this road at some point in your life. This lonely road to Emmaus discouraged, sad, and disappointed. Let's just take a few examples. If you ever get married, I know it's going to be hard to believe, but there are going to be rare moments where you're going to experience discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. Those people laughing are married people. <laughs> I'm just, you try to love another person. Have you ever looked in the mirror and go, I don't think I can stand myself? You ever done that? Yes, you have. We've all done that. When you get married, you're asking another person to live with that. You get it. That means they're going to experience discouragement, sadness, and disappointment in you, not just you and them. Or if you're single here this morning, I would never want to be single again. I think being single in this day and age has got to be one of the most difficult things in the world. And if you are single, trust me, the single road is loaded with discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. I mean, live out your calling. If you're a Christian here, the Holy Spirit has gifted you. And he's not just given you unique gifts. He's given you unique gifts because he's given you a unique calling. Do you know that? And a part of your purpose in life is to discover who God has made you to be and actually live into that, the very call that he has on your life. And if you do that, that sounds so holy and so noble and we're going to ascend to the mountaintop. 
on that road, you're going to experience discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. I mean, go read the life of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even our Savior, who knew no sin, experienced these things. I mean, get a dog. Like, just get a dog. Get a goldfish. It doesn't matter. Do something in life, and you're going to experience these things if you allow your heart to be alive. Now, you can numb yourself, medicate yourself, be addicted for the rest of your life, and lie to yourself and everybody else that you never experienced these things. But that means instead of you dealing with your own discouragement, sadness, and disappointment, you're just making everybody else deal with it. Parenting. I know. <laughs> so I, Renee and I, when we started having kids, it was in the heyday of focus on the family. Have y'all ever heard of focus on the family? It is the belief that you can be a perfect parent and then your kids will per- turn out perfect. Uh, and uh, so we really had this, this idea before we had kids that Christmases were going to be like literally like, like Christmas cards. We're all going to be wearing the same pajamas all day and, and we'll get up early and all the kids will gather around the Christmas tree and I'll read the Christmas story while I'm smoking a pipe and they'll be going, Papa, please don't stop there. Read the rest of the Bible all day. <laughs> It was nothing like that. In fact, we kind of committed ourselves to family devotions. If you're a family here this morning and you do family devotions, I want you to know that you are close to Jesus. Because, you know, we would try to do like family devotions or even just prayer time before we go to bed. And we would would encounter the demon possession of flip-flop. You know what that is? That is when you start to pray, their bodies just start flip-flopping all over the place. They're just tumbling and they're punching and they're pulling hair and they're doing everything except for what we would hope they would have done. Parenting's loaded, that kind of stuff. And it doesn't take much. I mean, I, I, I've na- named some, like, some, like, these are big things. Like, getting a dog's a big thing. Um, and marriage, too, you know. Uh, we went to a show Friday night at the Ascend, and I was so excited because I'd read online that Hattie B's is got, they sell their stuff at the theater. And I was just pumped all day, man. I'm just going to destroy it. I'm just going to, I can't wait. I'm just going to, no holds barred. Give me the big basket. We get there. Hattie B's was not there. It sounds so silly, doesn't it? I'm standing in front of the concession stand looking at burgers, chicken tenders. You know what's going on in my heart? Disappointment, sadness, discouragement. This is the tape that was playing. I'm not even going to eat. I don't even want any of this stuff. I'm not even going to eat. That's so crazy, isn't it? But it's so human about us. This road... This road, if we travel this road and we don't know that we're traveling this road, that's important. Here's what it does. It takes us away from who we are. It takes us away from where we should be. And it takes us away from what we've been called to do. So I want you to hear this. This road is normal. It is normal, 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 normal. And you got to know that because when you get discouraged and you think something unusual is happening to you, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. You're living a normal life. 
when you experience sadness, it's a beautiful emotion. It's a gift from God. But if you go, sadness, no, 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 I can't Instagram this. What do I do? What do I do? It's normal. Settle down. Or if you got disappointment in your life, guess what? Get used to it. That is life. That is life. But if I, if I am on this road and I commit myself to staying on this road, it takes me away from who I am, where I should be, and what I've been called to do. Because here's what this road does when I commit myself to being on the road. DSD doesn't change what's true. DSD changes what I believe is true. Let me say this again. Being discouraged, sad, and disappointment doesn't have the power to change truth. Doesn't have it. Does not have the power to change truth. What it does have the power is to change what I believe is true. And I always, always, maybe not you, you may be a better person than me. I always live out of what I believe is true. Not what is true. I always live out of what I believe is true. Let me give you an example. So when I became a Christian, Jesus brought me from death to life. And he then made me a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul said a prayer for me. And his prayer was, dear God, open the eyes of Randy so that he could see all the riches, all the power, and all the hope that you've put in him. In other words, our Trinitarian God, the gates of heaven opened up and he poured riches. He poured power, like, whoa, power. He poured hope. If you don't think hope is a powerful thing, boy, it's another sermon. But he loaded me down with those things. Then he patted me on the tush and he goes, go get them. Here's the crazy thing. Because of my story and my past, I don't believe I'm powerful. I don't believe I'm rich. I don't have hope. Those things are true. But here's how I lived. Like I was poor. Like I had no power. Like this situation is hopeless. And it's what's happened with the church, especially in this city. It's like the church has closed its eyes and they have forgotten that the hope of this city is right here. The Holy Spirit working through his people. We have forgotten that we are rich, so we live like we're poor. We have forgotten that we are powerful, so we live like we're powerless. And we have forgotten that we are the keepers of hope. And we keep it to ourselves as if we have no hope at all. See, what DSD has the power to do is not to change truth, but it does have the power to change what I believe is true. And when I change what I believe what I true, it changes where my feet take me. And it takes me to Emmaus. Jesus cares about that. And here's what I want you to know. If this road is normal, let me tell you what else is normal. Is that Jesus always, 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 let's hear it one more time. Meets me on the road of discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. Always. You're like, come on. My nose is running. Sinuses. Really? Yes, really. If you go, that's not true. 
That is your truth that you're living out of. Because let me tell you what's true. He is near the brokenhearted. You know the Jesus that we serve says, you can't go anywhere where I'm not with you. I am always with you. I go before you. I come behind you. I go beside you. I am always, 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 always. There is no place you can go that I'm not with you. Well, it sure doesn't feel that way. I don't think he's here. That's the truth I'm living out of. But let me tell you the truth. He is always with you. And here's what, when I start living out of false truth, here's what DSD does to me. It has this clever little way of taking hope and expectations and switching them. Look here. He says, we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. What Cleopas is really saying was, we had the expectation that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And when I say redeem Israel, I mean eradicate the Roman Empire, get on his throne, and make our life great. I love what Gerald May said about expectations, because there are two different things, expectations and hopes. Expectations is demanding exactly what we want to happen regardless of what is actually happening. And we have the ability to create expectations about everything. Expectations are, I know how I want things to go. And if they go that way, I know I'm going to get exactly what I want. And if I can get exactly what I want, that's the life worth living. Yeah, expectations, we got tons of them. In fact, if you go to Peter Scazzaro, you know, he wrote The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we did the course um, earlier this year, The Emotionally Healthy Relationship class. He talks about expectations, and he says we have unconscious expectations, expectations that we didn't know we had until we get into the moment, and then we find ourselves disappointed and realize, oh, I had expectations that... I really wasn't conscious that I had those expectations. Or we have expectations that are unrealistic, like every Airbnb that you rent is going to look just like the pictures. That probably is unrealistic, you know? Or you look like your pictures. That's unrealistic, you know? So we have unconscious expectations, unrealistic expectations. We have unspoken expectations. We do this in families all the time that I, you should just know. Do y'all not have mothers? All right. You know, you should just know what I expect. You know, I'm not going to speak them and I'm not going to share them, but you should know them and I'm going to hold you accountable for them even though I've not spoken them. And then there are spoken expectations that nobody agrees to, but because they're spoken, everybody holds you accountable to them. We load life down with these expectations And what that does is we're demanding our situation to turn out the way that we want it to so that we can get what we want. DSD, if I can just change my situation, I won't be discouraged, sad, or disappointed. But hope is a very different thing. Gerald May said, while expectation is the assumption that something is actually going to happen, false or not, hope is the wish for something good to happen. Hope is flexible. It's alive. It responds to all our situations instead of battling against the ones that appear to be opposite. Hope admits reality, always acknowledging what is, but never resigning itself to what is. 
See, these disciples, they thought they had a situational problem. Where's Jesus? Actually, they had a very different problem because Jesus was right with them and they didn't know it. So let's go back to the story. With me? How are we doing? Okay, am I going too long? All right, I felt bored by my own sermon in the first service, so hang with me. I'm having to hear it again. (laughs) All right, verse 25. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, how foolish, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. Let's just stop for a second. When was the last time you called a stranger a fool? Or when was the last time you got called a fool by a stranger? Remember, they didn't recognize him. And Jesus is saying, "Ah, you guys are fools and you don't believe. What's he doing here? Well, Jesus understands something, that there are two problems that these guys have, and they're problems that face us all on the DSD road. One is foolishness. And in this, in this place, that word foolish means you have a lack of understanding. You're not seeing the situation clearly. Your information is short. You need more information about this situation. And then the slow to belief is that you don't believe. Even the information you have, you're not putting your trust in it. So you have two problems. One is your information is wrong. And two is your faith is messed up. So Jesus said, let's see if we can't fix that. Go back to the passage. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is so important for us to get. Because look what Jesus did. When he met them on the road of DSD, he hid his appearance to where they didn't know it was him because he wanted them to see power in something other than his visible, visible, visible appearance. And what was it? This. Grasp this. Jesus pulls out the Bible and goes all the way back to Moses and takes them for, how long does it take to walk seven miles if you're strolling? Somebody give me, what do you think? Two hours? Somebody say an hour? That is moving, let me tell you. That is smoking. Like, it, for two hours to listen to Jesus go, hey, guys, let's go all the way back to Moses. And he began to open up God's word to them. And here's what's crazy about the statement that Jesus is saying. Is, is, well, let me put it this way. How does Jesus speak to you? Like, if you're a Christ follower here today, if you're not, I get it. I've sat in your seat as a skeptic trying to figure this whole thing out. But I'm telling you, Jesus sometimes speaks to me through situations. I mean, there are times where I have situations and I'm like, whoa. Like I had a phone call with a guy this week that I'd never met before. And I was praying right before he called. And he used, I was asking the Lord a question and he used the exact language I used in my prayer to answer the question. Was that Jesus? Maybe. Because sometimes he speaks through my situation, sometimes he doesn't. You know? I mean, he didn't speak through Hattie B's at the Ascends the other day. <laughs> sometimes he speaks through prayers, or I mean, through dreams. Have you ever had a dream and you woke up and you go, oh, that was Jesus? About three weeks ago, on a Saturday night, I had a, I had a dream that I was in a war 
and was running through the battlefield and running in front of me was this, <laughs> you think that's funny, right? Uh, and so in front of me was this other soldier running in front of me and I began to realize, oh, this is the Holy Spirit that's running in front of me. You know how dreams just, you do that. And uh, the person, the Holy Spirit turned, stopped running, turned and looked at me and got right up to my face and started screaming, pray! And I was like, oh, wow. And I woke up and I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Was that the Holy Spirit? Was that Jesus? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Does he speak through friends? A lot of times. Have you ever had experience where a friend shared something with you? You're like, oh, wow, Jesus just spoke through my friend. Um, but have you ever had a friend tell you, I think I know what Jesus wants you to hear, and it wasn't what you needed to hear at all? Like, you know? So sometimes he speaks through friends, but here's the truth. This is what he promises. Always. Always, always he speaks through this. I'm promising you, like when we're on the DSD, you want to know how Jesus meets us? And he's always there with us. He meets us through this. Always. Always. Like there's a passage in Isaiah 55. Have you ever heard the, like if you've gone to church, you've heard this before. The Lord's word never returns void. Have you ever heard that? Y'all heard that? No? Some of you haven't heard that? I'm so thankful some of you have been spared. But here, this is out of Isaiah 55, and this is what it says. My word goes out from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty. This whole passage is about God declaring that his word has power. But it doesn't just have power. His word has purpose. Like, it's almost as if his word is alive. Well, it is. Even Jesus calls himself the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so in Isaiah 55, it's talking about how the word has intentional purpose. That when we read it, when we preach it, when we hear it, when we meditate on it, when we memorize it, when we study it, it always has purpose designed by God. And God will always see that purpose accomplish his purpose. But look, go back to Isaiah 55, and look what it's couched in. That's in the middle of the chapter. It starts with this. Come all you who are thirsty. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You don't have any money? That's cool. No problem. Come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine. I like that. And milk. Without money and without cost. I mean, why spend money on what's not bread that's going to fill you up? Why do you labor for that which won't satisfy you? It's setting us up, setting us up like, what is this water? What is this wine? What is this bread? It's the word. And here's what's crazy in the middle of this. God says, uh, warning. There's a little warning here. And what's the warning? Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my way. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are your thoughts. What does that mean? If you come to this expecting to agree with everything that's in here, you got a problem. Because what Jesus is saying is you have a very small view. I have a much bigger view, and I'm inviting you to me, not me to you. In other words, he's lifting our head up in these situations to realize that he is with us and he has a bigger understanding. 
So in about three weeks, I'm going to Africa, and one of the guys that I'll spend time with is Cato, which y'all have heard me talk about. He was in prison for three years in southern Sudan, falsely accused of murder. Uh, but when he went into the prison, we were all praying, God, get him free, get him free, get him free. Now we know what the Lord was saying to us was, get him free. Are you kidding? Do you know how much I had to do to get him in there? Because he got in there, and he's a preacher, not because he has a church, but because that's who he is. He knew who he was, he knew where he had to be, and he knew the mission that God had given him. And so he started preaching. And he had turned that prison into a house of prayer and a house of praise. In fact, when we finally got him out of there, the prisoners were begging for him not to go. And now African leadership with Cato are starting prison ministries all over Central Africa. See, but our understanding was very limited. On our road of discouragement, sad, and disappointment, the Lord says, hey, put your trust in me. I am working all things to the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Cato's okay. Cato's okay. Trust in what I'm saying. Because here's what happens when we come to the word. It doesn't just give us the voice of God on the road of discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. It also changes us. In verse 10, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth. And it's talking about everything flourishes now when it's watered. Everything comes to life. Look what it says at the end. Because of the flourishing of God's word, instead of thorn bushes will grow the juniper. A better way to translate that is that the thorn bush will actually be turned into the juniper. And instead of the briar, the myrtle will grow. In other words, the briar now will be transformed into the myrtle. This will be for the Lord's renown, for his glory, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And what is the sign that will endure forever? You. That when his word comes down on your life, it will transform you from a thorn bush into something of beauty for his glory forever. That's the power of his word. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. I know. It's crazy. But it's God breathed with a purpose. And what is the purpose? To teach us, to rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. Why? Because we have a purpose, and it's to equip us for the purpose in which we were gifted and made and called to. We're almost out of time. Here's like I said to you if, if you've ever been or you currently on the road of discouragement, sadness, and disappointment, and you have no place in your life for this, it's very hard to hear Jesus. He is with you, but it's hard to hear him. He's right there with you, but it's hard to hear what he's saying to you because this is the means by which he has said to the saints, I will feed you. Come, I know you're thirsty. I know you're hungry. Come and feast upon this. If you've ever experienced this, the disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke about Moses? You know what that's like when God speaks and you just have to stop and you go, that was just for me. 
he still does that. So he didn't just bring them the word, but he also, he confronted their unbelief. They're slow to belief. And how did he do that? Verse 28, as they approached the village, they're almost to Emmaus, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. See you guys later. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. They were like, hey, this is where we stop, but would you please come in and have dinner with us? Come on, don't go anywhere. Their hearts were burning within them. And when he saw them at the table, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Uh-oh. Now, just pro tip here. Anytime Jesus grabs bread, gives thanks, and break it, hang on, because something about happened. All throughout scripture, it's about to happen. That's why he's called the bread of life. Like he is holding the metaphor that defines who he is. And he breaks it. He gives thanks and looks what happened. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. I know. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The only thing I have for you right now is we have been in the word and now we are about to come to the table where Jesus broke the bread, gave thanks and blessed it. See, what Jesus knew is it's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to know. We also have to experience. In fact, seeing Jesus almost usurps knowing sometimes. If you look at the thief on the cross, what did he do? He just said to Jesus, um, hey, I want to be with you in your kingdom. And he said, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. He knew nothing about Jesus. He just put his trust there. But today we have the advantage of knowing and putting our trust. Because look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 23 about this table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is the apostle Paul. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're not just remembering, we're also proclaiming. We're remembering what he did so that we can proclaim it over our present. We look at the past, so the present is impacted by the past. And it would be great if we just stopped right there and just said, well, this table is kind of, ah, it's a religious ceremony. You know, we're, we're commemorating the life and death of Jesus. You know? And it's real wine, so that's a bonus, you know. <laughs> but look at verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So then, because now what Paul's about to say is this place has power. Be careful how you come to a living Jesus. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. What does that mean? It, what it means is, is that we don't serve a dead Jesus. We serve a living Jesus. 
and he is with us and he is here. And he promises to work through the means of grace, like the preaching of his word, prayer, worship, and this table. And what Paul is saying is be careful how you come to this table because what you're coming to is a living Jesus. And when you come to this table, you're saying to Jesus, Jesus, meet me on the road of discouragement, sadness, and disappointment and do whatever it takes to turn my feet back to Jerusalem. Whatever it takes, I can't keep going to the road of Emmaus. I can't keep going in a direction that takes me away from who I really am, what I was really made for, what I really should be doing, and where I should be. Whatever it takes, even if you have to take my life, take me back. I trust you more than I trust me. That's what you're saying when you come to this table. And what Paul is saying is if we come with hands open to say, Lord, I am partnering with you to do that. Let's go together. That's going to be so much easier than you come and go, eh, no, not partnering with you, but do it anyway. Right. That's why he says, examine yourself. Because if you're not ready to partner with Jesus with what he wants to do in your life, please stay in your seat. Deal with that. Wrestle with that. Pray about that. Fight with Jesus about that. But don't come up here. But if you're in a place in your life where you're like, Lord, many times I've been on the DSD road, maybe this morning, and I come now and I lay all my expectations down. I repent of what I've done to other people with them. And I come now and hope hope that you are kind and you are loving and you are compassionate and you want good for me and you're working it all out for the good. I come now and I feast upon your grace. That's what the table's for. So let me tell you how we do it here at Midtown. I told you I would. The band's going to come back up and they're going to lead us. It's, there's going to be a number of worship songs and we're going to start with a prayer of confession that we collectively can do that together to kind of help guide us in it. This time is intentionally made to slow you down. And I know for some of you, it's like, ugh, four songs, ugh, just sitting in my stair. I just want to encourage you, embrace the awkwardness of being still for 15 minutes. The reason we do that is because we want that to melt into Monday. We want you to begin to practice time with Jesus every day. But today it's easy. We'll help you. So take your time. When you're ready to come up and take communion, uh, just make your way up front. Use any aisle you want. Uh, when you come to the kneelers, when you're ready to take uh, communion, you can stay up here and pray as long as you want. When you're ready, put your hands out, and those who are serving will serve you communion. If you want somebody to pray for you when you get up here, just cross your chest. We're a family, and we're happy to dive in. I want to remind you that our communion is real wine. Um, if you don't want to drink real wine, the center ring um, is grape juice, and feel free to do that. We also have prayer walls out in the hallways. Um, if you have a specific prayer that you want the prayer of the saints over your life, go hang a prayer on the prayer wall. You can do it anonymously. But when you, when you leave one, take one and enter into somebody else's journey and pray for them this week as well. So let me pray for us, and when you are ready in your heart of worship, please come to the table. Dear Jesus, the Jesus who not only gave us uh, his life and took away our sin, but rose from the dead, that we too could rise to newness of life. Bless these elements, Lord. Bless, um, Lord, this table. Meet us in this place as you promise. Jesus, like you did with the disciples, would you reveal yourself to us? 
And let us not just know about you, but also experience you this morning. I pray, Father, as my friends come to this table to confess sin, to confess uh, expectations that have robbed them of life, to confess where they are on this road of discouragement, sadness, and disappointment. Lord, I pray at this table you would meet them, that, Lord, you would be kind and gentle and compassionate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.